Good morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to be here. It's no secret I've been a bit ill this week, and you can sound from my, uh, hear from my voice that it hasn't quite recovered, um, but bear with, and we'll have a good time. Hey, also, happy Father's Day. Hey. Um, and if I, hear, if I hear kids, amazing. We're here as a church to, um, to be a church for families, and so if I hear some children in the room, I'm doing my job. I'm doing a really good job if I can hear kids in the room. So don't, do not worry if you've got babies and they're making a bit of noise. Um, actually, if you want to make a bit of noise as well, adults, you want to, you know, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I wish I was, I, I wish I had uh, lived life like a toddler where I could just shout, I'm hungry. Do you know what I mean? Or like, like I wish. Anyway, let's turn to the Bible. Let's read the Bible. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 15. And I'd love to read from Luke 15, verse 11. It's Father's Day, and I would love to speak about how Jesus describes his Father, his Father in heaven. And so let's read. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen, but if you're turning in your Bibles, if you brought a Bible uh, with you, we're going, to read, we're going to read this together. Um, starting at verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, uh, give me my share of the estate, which essentially is saying, I wish you were dead so I could have my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while his father was still a long way off, uh, sorry, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And of course, the story, if you know the story well, it continues on about the younger son being a bit grumpy about all that's happened. But I think we're going we're gonna to leave it there. Let me just repeat that, that, that verse 20 again. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And he welcomed the son home. He welcomes him home. And I want to say that to you this morning as well. Welcome home. Welcome home. The title of my talk this morning, that's what it is. Welcome home. I hope as you came through the doors as well, you saw that banner that had the same words on it, welcome home. It's the hope that we have as a church, that at Bay Church, as you walk in, you would feel at 
home. We talk a lot about Bay Church being, being a family, being part of a family. We hope that it's, that it's a home, like it feels like a family joining in with what's happening here. It feels like home. It feels like family. Because the church isn't an organization you join, but it's a family you belong to. The church isn't an organization you attend or join, but it's a family that you belong to. And you, you belong here. Whoever you are, whatever your story, whatever your background, whatever your situation, you belong here. So welcome home. And so Jesus tells this story to demonstrate what God is like. God is Father. Jesus has this unique relationship with God the Father. And he says, he describes God the Father like this, like a father who runs to meet his lost son to welcome him home. But why does he run? Why does the father run? Why, why run? Well, over a year ago now, my family were asking the same question of my dad. Why is he running? What's all that? He started running due to um, needing some physio on his hip. Um, and so he was encouraged to do the couch to 5K. Any couch to 5Kers? Anyone completed it? No, a very unathletic church here. We have this morning. No one. <laughs> Um, so he did the couch to 5K, which then turned into doing the local 5K park run, which turned into signing up for the, for the 10K in Brighton, which turned into him buying a treadmill, which took up like half the room downstairs. Thanks, um, you know, my mum wasn't pleased with this, um, which turned into like running 50K a week in training. You know, some say he was obsessed. Why is he running so much? And we were just asking, why is he running so much? Some suggested in our family that he was obsessed, but I came to my dad's defense, and so dad, if you're, if you're watching, catching up on YouTube, which I'm sure you are, um, I've got an inspirational quote for you, dad. Um, obsessed is just a word the lazy use to describe the dedicated, and so you can use that. Yeah, come on. He's dedicated, he's going for it, and we might still ask, why is he, you know, why is he running? Why is it that he has to be at the nearest park run even when he's on holiday, you know? But he's doing it. He's running. That's my running dad. There you can see him. But it's a it's well-known parable. It's, the, it's known as the parable of the lost son. But some have suggested it's really the, it's the parable of the running father. Here we have a running father. But why? Why does he run? Why is he, why is he running to the son? Well, two things that I've picked out from the passage, which I just want to briefly take us through, to suggest why the father might be running towards the son. Firstly, he runs to reinstate the son into the family. And secondly, he runs to save the son from shame. But let's look at that first one. He runs to reinstate the son into the family. God wants us, that's you and me, to experience the joy and love of being part of God's family. That's what God's heart is for us. What do we tend to do when we've, when we've wronged someone? I'm sure you're all great people, but perhaps from time to time we might upset the people around us. What do we tend to do when we've wronged someone we know? Well, we try desperately to make it up to them, don't we? We do, we do things. You might, you might go out and buy flowers. You might uh, prepare food. You might you know, do some housework. You might go for like the extravagant gift option. You might pour out some affection. You might go over the top on encouragement and affirmation. I once tried writing and recording a song and that didn't go down very well at all. 
it's natural to want to, in those moments, earn our way back into the peace zone, earn our way back into the friendship to make peace, earn our way back into that relationship. And so we're probably not surprised and can probably relate to the son's plan, the son's approach when he comes up with an idea of how he can return home to his father. And this is what he plans to say to the father as we read, make me like one of your hired servants. He's saying, let me make it up to my father. Let me work for it. Let me prove myself. Let me start the lowest I can be and let me work my way back up. And that's how the father will receive me back into the home. And I'm sure there are many of us in the room today who, who felt a bit like that with, with someone that we know. And perhaps there are a few of us today as well who feel like that with, with God. We feel like that towards God. Like God is someone who we, we need to appease, who, who we need to earn his love, who we need to, we need to work for it in order to be welcomed into the family of God. But that's not how the Father responds. That's not what the father responds to. It was the son's plan, but how does the father respond? But he says, but while still, while still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son, who, who's rehearsed, remember, he's rehearsed these two lines. He just about gets his first rehearsed line in, which to be fair is a good line. It's the bit where he says, I'm sorry. He owns up the mess. He, he realizes I've, I've messed up and I've sinned against you and against heaven. But before he's even able to begin to suggest this plan of working back the father's love and, and being welcomed back into the family, the father says, no, 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 and calls for his servants. And he says, come on, give him a ring. And he says, give him a robe. Come on, there's, there's ours coming. Give him some sandals. We'll call them Reeboks. And he says, get the, get the, fattened, get the fattened calf and we're going to have a roast. That's the father's response. A ring, a roast, Reeboks. And the, the other one, I've forgotten. The father doesn't even want to consider the son doing anything other than being his son again. He's only interested in welcoming his son home, which is a huge, huge statement given what's happened. He's the son has essentially said to his dad, I want you dead so that I can have you, my inheritance. And the shame and the pain he would have caused his family in doing this. And yet the father says, welcome home, welcome home. The father's saying, despite all the pain and the shame that you've caused us and that you're probably carrying now, welcome home despite the fear that you might have been even experienced in coming back, welcome home. And by the way, you don't need to earn this. You don't need to make it up to me because welcome home. And I'm not worried about what's happened. I don't care what's happened. Welcome home. Come on, is anybody grateful? That's the father we have in heaven who says, welcome home. You might be full of doubt today. God says, welcome home. You might be here with a number of uncertainties or fears. And God says, welcome home. You might be here today and you might feel broken. God says, welcome home. You might be here and you might feel unworthy. You might feel out of place. You might feel a little bit lost. God says, welcome home. You might be here and you might be struggling with something in your life. And God says, welcome home. Welcome home. It's not just words we put on a banner, but it's the heart of the Father. Father who reinstates the son into the family and says, welcome home, welcome home. And the same is true for you and me today. It's, 
It's not something we have to earn for ourselves. We don't need to come up with this, this plan to earn God's love and to receive that. We, all, all we need to, really need to do, it's, the, the son's sort of like a, it's an imperfect example of how to return to the father, but it's, but it's a fairly good example as well. There's a bit of repentance where he turns away from his old life. There's this confession where he says, I'm sorry that I've done this. And then there's this moment where the father says, welcome home, and he comes home. Welcome home. Why does he run? He runs to reinstate the son into the family, and he runs to save the son from shame. The father's heart is not to expose our shame, but to take it away. Fiona and I, um, my wife, have been married for nine years. Uh, We're coming up to the Big Ten next year. And when we first got married, I couldn't drive. You know, like the the son, I spent it on like guitars and and that sort of stuff rather than like driving lessons and like important things that would set me up for life. Um, So our first car when we were married, uh, as a married couple, our first car was this white Fiat 500. And Fiona loved it. Fiona loved that car. It's the kind of car you might expect my lovely wife to drive. Um, But then I started to learn to drive. And I drove that white Fiat 500 and was subject to years of mocking from my friends. Because apparently Fiat 500s tend to be driven by 17-year-old girls and not 25-year-old men. Um, And I would say, no, 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 it's not not a girl's car. It's 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 Italian. The Fiat 500s are Italian. So just imagine this sort of like attractive Italian man sort of like cruising way, his way through the streets of Milan. It's a cool car. It's a cool, they, they weren't having it. One road trip uh, and it came up again. They're mocking me again. And I said, okay, let's put a stop to the argument. The next Fiat 500 we see determines it. If it's a young woman, you win. And I'll just, I'll take the mocking. But if it's an attractive Italian man who drives past us in the next Fiat 500, then I win. And it didn't take long while we were in that car. And in the rear view mirror, we saw a Fiat 500 coming by. So I slowed down to let this car um, overtake. And I was just, I remember playing, please, Lord. (laughs) Save me from the embarrassment. And let this be a really attractive Italian man. I've never prayed for an attractive Italian man before or ever. And um, as, they dr- as, as this car drives past, the anguish, the pain, the humiliation, the loss of my friends as the Italian man drove past and yet yeah, drove past and settled the score that Fiat 500s are for everyone. Whoever that man was, I thank him. I thank him from saving me from further ridicule, shame, and embarrassment. I thank him for the choice that he made that day to drive, to drive his girlfriend's car, I assume. I can only assume, I can only assume. I thank that man for saving me from shame. Shame, shame is real, isn't it? None of us want to live with shame. But it's something we, we all deal with, whether it's regrets, past mistakes, or, or missed opportunities. Maybe it's things that we've said, things that we've done. It's a very real thing for us all, shame. But what's just as real is all of our desire that our shame wouldn't be exposed to other people. That, 
the, the fear of being a little bit too vulnerable, that we might be seen for who we really are. That we, and those sorts of things might disqualify us from um, real connection and, and the relationships around us. And we think actually maybe those, those areas of shame in my life might disqualify me from knowing the love of God as well. Our shame being exposed. And this is what the, the son is at risk of in this story. He's at risk of his shame being exposed. Why does the father run? He runs to save the son from shame. Let's give you a little bit of context to, to what's going on in, in the passage. Firstly, I read that story, didn't I? And we just read it through and without pause, and we just did it. And you, we might think that's how Jesus told the story as well. But what the story Jesus is telling is pretty countercultural, and, and there would have been real uproar at the things he was saying. Jesus, whilst he's telling this story, he's not got a nice, quiet little crowd like we have today. Um, everyone would have been shouting. He would have had to have paused as he was saying the things because when he said that the father ran, they would have, they would have started shouting, no, men don't... Re-. And as he was saying some of these other things, there would, have been, there would have been shouting and responses and Jesus would have had to have taken his time to tell this story because firstly, for an elderly man to run in this culture was extremely unusual and very humiliating. I think it was Aristotle who said, great men never run in public. But also in that culture, um, there was this thing, a, a, a Jewish son who had left the community in a shameful way and lost, and lost and thrown his inheritance away among Gentiles. Upon their return, they would have been subjected to this ceremony uh, by the village um, called the Kazaza. Everybody say Kazaza. Kazaza. Um, the Kazaza ceremony. It's called a Kazaza ceremony. It's where the villagers, they would have met the son um, upon his return at the gates, at the, at the boundary to the community. And in a really humiliating way, what they would have done symbolically, but the, the, the humiliation would have just been just as real. They would throw this pot at the son's feet and it would smash in front of them and they would begin to yell at him. And it would be a symbol of how this son was now cut off from this community. Because of what he's done, you, you are not part of this community anymore. Here's this broken pot in front of you. And they would heap shame and shame and shame upon him. Why does the father run? Well, it's not because he's filled with joy. It's not because he's overjoyed at the sight of his son. The word that's used in the passage is compassion. Compassion. He was filled with compassion for his son because he sees his son. And so driven by compassion, the father runs because he wants, to be, he wants to reach the son first before the villagers get to him. He wants to reach the son first because he doesn't want his son to experience the shame that's about to come his way through the Kazaza ceremony. He wants to say there's no Kazaza today. He runs and runs. He's literally running to save him. And instead of subjecting him to the utter shame of this ceremony, he embraces him. And he shows the village that his son is forgiven. That, and then he moves quickly to restore him by giving him that robe and that ring and by throwing a party. And in that culture, the whole village would have come to that party as well. And they would have seen this son completely reinstated in, uh, in his position as a son. Why does the father run? He runs to save the son from shame. And um, this is particularly a thing that's, that's been core to my journey of faith. Forgiveness from the Father is really core to my own journey. When I was, when I was 19, I was in a really dark place, you know, about two years ago. Um, lots, of, lots of anger, 
lots of shame, lots of bitterness, and lots of pain. And I'd, I'd hurt a lot of people. So I was carrying a lot of shame for that. I'd hurt my family. I'd hurt my girlfriend at the time. And I'd, I'd hurt friends. But I'd also felt abandoned by the people around me. And I felt lost. And I felt angry at church. I felt angry at God. And I was angry at God for the way that my life had turned out up to this point. I felt like a fraud. I felt, I felt hopeless. And I felt completely unworthy of love. I won't give you all the details now because I can't quite tell my full story without blubbering and I, I hate being ill and I hate crying and so that's not today but don't worry you've got like 20 years of me telling this same story um, over and over again but there was this one particularly particularly low moment at home and I was in my room and, and my dad knocks on the door and and later I found out my dad was actually he said he felt prompted by the Holy Spirit as he was walking past my room to knock on my door and he, he just popped his head round, and the the timing of it was perfect he just popped his head around. He said, Matt, I just want you to know whatever you're going through, there's nothing that you could do that would make, make us love you more or make us love you any less. We love you and we forgive you. And he, he shut the door and left and I burst into tears because that was a turning point. That was a turning point for me because... I realized that's my dad who we've seen is a great runner and all that. He's perfect. And well, he's not perfect. That's the point. It's my dad. I love him, uh, but he's got his flaws. But in that moment, I suddenly realized, wait a minute. If that's my earthly dad, how much more does my heavenly father speak those words over me? How much more does my father in heaven offer his forgiveness and offer me his love? And how much more does he really, truly, truly forgive me? In that moment, I received validation as a son again. My shame that I was carrying was lifted. And the process of, of healing from all that hurt began that night, began in that moment. The father runs to save the son from shame. No Kizaza today. He runs to instate, reinstate the son into the family and he runs to save the son from shame. And don't forget, this is a story that Jesus is saying, this is exactly what God is like, who you and I can know today. We can know the God who loves us and forgives us, and we can experience that for ourselves today. The Father who runs to us and reinstates our position that we have as children of God and saves us from all the shame that we carry. He doesn't come and try and expose that shame, but comes to take it away. And the question we might be asking then is, if that's how Jesus describes his father, can we trust Jesus? Can we trust Jesus that that is actually what God is like? Because I'd really like that to be true. I'd really like that to be, to be God the Father. Can I, can I trust Jesus when he says this? Well, we can. We can because of what Jesus does for us. Jesus at the cross, he gave up his position. He gave up the right that he had as the son of God. And he felt the pain and the separation from God that we deserved in order for us to become children of God. Jesus at the cross, he takes on our shame. He takes it upon himself. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was embarrassed. He was beaten so that you and I could know complete and utter forgiveness. So that you and I could be welcomed home. We can trust Jesus because of what he did for us. 
on the cross. Um, let me show you. This is the Bay Church logo. And I, I, love, our, I love our brand. I, it's really fun, isn't it? I love the font, modern ombre, and Futura round. I love it. And this, a, friend of mine, a friend of mine did this for us. And, and we sort of, we love this, this idea. And sort of like, if, just to give you context, the red bit is like, it's Torbay. It's like the red sands of Torbay. You can see that. Um, and then the blue bit's the water, and I think, like, loosely speaking, conceptually, like, maybe that's Jesus or God in the middle, Jesus at the center of everything, and we, we love this logo, and we had this logo for a while, for, for quite some time, actually, before we realized something about it, and someone pointed it out to us, and you might have already noticed this before, but it, but it looks like a bird's eye view of two people hugging, and then naturally, as someone pointed this out, we, we were drawn to the story of the prodigal son, or the running father, this logo captures everything that we want Bay Church to be, a place of welcome and a place where you feel welcomed home. The hug is so good, you can just see one person's head because, this, because the sun, us, you and I are completely wrapped in a pretty good hug. It reminds me of this, this sculpture by the artist Charlie Mackesy describing the same thing, the father completely embracing the son as he returns home. And you can just put yourself in that image. The father who completely embraces us, you and I, as we come home to him. What's my biggest hope for Bay Church? That, that you would truly know, true, and honestly, truly know that God loves you. Like that moment I had in my room that you would experience and be totally transformed by the love of God. I get, the church I used to um, work at in Portsmouth, we, we used to get, not criticized, but people say, you just talk about the love of God all the time. That every, every, every sermon's like, God loves you. And our response really was like, hey, if you actually live like God loves you, you wouldn't need to hear another sermon. Because if you really and really allowed that to sink in, really allowed the depth and the love that God has for you, it would completely completely transform your life. It would change the way you lived your life. I want Bay Church to feel like you're coming home to a hug like the images that we saw. Amen.